Welcome back to Return to Odyssey. I'm Josh. I'm Rachel, and we are here once again to delve into Vintage Odyssey episodes. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks. We do have another review before we get started. I'll go ahead and read this one. This one is titled Great New AIO Podcast, and it's written by GWD Brave. It's a little bit of a long one, but it's fun. He says, I am 43 and have listened to AIO since the very beginning, when it was still called Family Portraits and then Odyssey USA. I love AIO and podcasts. Josh and Rachel do a great job. It's great seeing a married couple do this podcast together, reviewing episodes on Old School Odyssey and talk on their opinions. It is very interesting and can be fun. I enjoy this as they break down the episodes and talk about each one. Keep up the good work. I look forward to hearing more episodes in the future. Thanks, GWD Brave. Yes, thank you. We always love getting reviews. We always love hearing what you all have to say. By the way, I know we've forgotten to do this in the last few episodes, but if you want to get in contact with us personally, you can email us at serpentanddovespecfic, that's S-P-E-C-F-I-C, at gmail.com. Yeah, and we would love to hear any feedback you have. And we will try to respond. Life be crazy, so if we don't respond right away, we're not ignoring you. This episode is also sponsored in part by Audible. So if you go to the link in our show notes, you can download a 30-day trial, and that gives you two audiobooks for free. And one of the audiobooks we recommend is A Grief Observed. Make sure you get the one narrated by Douglas Gresham. So A Grief Observed is by C.S. Lewis. Lewis is one of my favorite authors and thinkers of the 20th century. Brilliant mind. Christian apologist, humorist, a fantasist, and a lot of the stuff that he wrote, I would say everything he wrote, is written from a standpoint of such grace and humility Mm -hmm. and wisdom and logic, and he is just so, so good. A Grief Observed is a little different from the rest of his books in that I think it's him at his most raw. He wrote this right after the death of his wife. She died of cancer. And the right of it was a process as he worked through dealing with the grief and the loss. Mm-hmm. It's um, kind of a journal of his grief. Yeah. I remember. And that ties somewhat to the Odyssey episode we're going to talk about today, which is titled Recollections. And it's kind of backstory. Every once in a while, beginning with this episode, the writers sit down and do a backstory episode on Mr. Whitaker or various other characters. Largely, it's the Whitaker family. And we've mm-hmm. done a little bit of that with the previous episode, but this one is specifically, how did Whitsend come into being? How did Wit lose his wife? All that is worked out in this episode. So there's no real moral? No, this is the first time we've come across an Odyssey episode that does not have a direct scriptural tie-in or even a thesis, like a moral that they're trying to communicate. Mm -hmm. This is simply story to let us know more about the characters. Yeah. And as such, it's pretty straightforward. Mm. There's not a lot of major twists and turns in this one. And again, we have one that doesn't have a whole ton of humor in it either. No, it doesn't. Sorry. Yeah. I feel bad for the people that were listening originally because this is three weeks in a row. We have pretty hefty subject matter. Yeah, and if you're (laughs) just joining us for the first time, I promise Odyssey does get more fun than these. It does. Listen to some of our back catalog. We have more fun stuff back there. And we will have more fun in the future. So, And we'll have some fun today. Yes. But it will be more somber fun, yes. if there is such a thing. Speaking of fun, they actually give us a sketch in the beginning of the episode. Because Chris just starts out by saying, You know how your memory can play tricks on you? And we have this weird bit of a guy talking with his butler. Fillmore, did you remember to plug the bathtub when you filled up the bath for me? Yes, sir, of course I did. Do you think I forget things? Yes, sometimes. Then they open the door and there's water pouring over the side of the tub. He says, like, turning the water off. It's interesting because the guy doing the butler voice is Phil Lawler, which I didn't recognize as Phil Lawler. He's doing this goofy voice. I recognized it as Millard the Monkey from Jungle Jam and Friends. Which we've talked about Jungle Jam before. If you have not listened to Jungle Jam yet, there are some stuff on YouTube. There's a couple of their specials on Spotify. If you can scrape up the money to download the albums because they're not cheap. Yeah, they're a little hard to come by. 
They're really these hilarious, days. though. Someday, maybe we'll branch off and do Jungle Jam in a podcast. Weirdly, I kind of like it better than Odyssey sometimes, but I think that there's less to talk about because it's joke a minute. It's well, almost yeah. Monty Python. How much can you analyze a Monty Python episode? Yeah, and we have found that the episode we did on Gifts from Magic Guy, which is in that style, is the most boring episode of this show. Of our podcast, not of Odyssey. Yes. So, so maybe it's the more fun the Odyssey episode is. The less fun our podcast will be. Yeah, that's possible. Say. So we'll see. If you would like us to try our hand at Jungle Jam and Friends, let us know. We want to create content that you want to listen to. So anyway, they move on from there. And Chris says, whether good or bad, we all have memories. And we're going to talk about some memories on today's Odyssey. And that's it. We segue right into Connie blustering into wits and a high wit. I'm here. I'm so sorry. Now, before you say anything, I know I'm late. And it's Tom behind the counter, not Wit. Yeah, and Wit has actually gone out. And Connie's like, where did he go? And Tom says, he's at the cemetery. Connie's like, oh, did somebody die? Well, yeah, his wife four, four years, years ago. ago. Today. Which gives us a very short timeline. When we first started listening to this series again, I had in the back of my mind that Wit's End was kind of this permanent fixture in the town. Mm-hmm. And it's only been around not too long. Yeah, only four years, which is a very short time. So that's weird, though, because, sorry, I'm remembering Monty coming in to Wit's End and saying, oh, yeah, I remember this place. Wit hadn't seen Monty in three years, so Monty's memories must be from them opening. Like grand opening. Yeah. Yeah. If you haven't listened to our previous podcast, that's not going to make any sense. Right. Um, Monty is Mr. Ritiker's grandson who had come to visit him. We talked about those episodes in the previous podcast. And he has a line in there when they go into Wit's End that, oh, I remember this place. So that gives us a little more insight, actually, to timeline of the Whitaker family. After Tom explains that Wood is at the cemetery because his wife had died, he kind of goes into this info dump about Jenny Whitaker. It's kind of weird because he goes into this descriptive statements like she had fiery red hair and eyes that would snap at you. And it's not the way that people talk. It's the way that something would be written. Yes. It It comes across a little wooden in the dialogue. Yeah. And there are some things that he talks about. She was involved in so many things throughout the town. There wasn't an activity or a function that Jenny Winokur wasn't behind or a part of or something. And that's a fairly normal statement that you would give when you're talking about somebody. Then he moves on to Wit and he's like, Wit, well, he was different. Mind on other things, I guess. Which is, as we continue through the conversation, we find out that he hadn't really met Wit yet. Yeah, and this is part of the little bit of a weirdness of finding out that Wit's End is only four years old. Mm -hmm. And all of this story that we're about to hear Mm -hmm. took place four years previously, Mm -hmm. basically. But Wit and Tom have this relationship almost like they're bosom buddies from childhood. very close, yes. But they've only been friends for years, which, as we have found with church friends, that kind of bond can be formed in four years. Yeah, it can be formed quite quickly, depending on... The people involved. Yeah. So I guess in this case, both of them are the type of people that just latched onto each other and they have this really cool bond. One quick note, though, it's kind of strange because Connie does not ask. I don't think Connie ever asks about how Wits End got started or how all of this... Tom just launches into Yeah, he just dives in. And she asks clarifying questions because Tom says something like, he was just finishing up teaching and Connie says... Wait, he was a teacher? So we need to start keeping a tally at some point. We may have joked about it in the past. Yeah. Of the jobs that Mr. Whitaker has had. Encyclopedia Company. Mm Mm-hmm. And he was a teacher. He's a business owner. He's an inventor. And in the future, we find out about a couple more. Couple other things. More extreme things like CIA spy and government hacker. NSA spy. Either way. If it's a different organization, but yeah. Intelligence organizations and craziness. More so, things than any human could do in their lifetime. Yeah, he's, he's insane. So Connie says, wait, he was a teacher? And he says, yeah, for 13 years. So he was a 13 years as a middle school teacher, and the city even awarded him honors for best teacher of the because, year. Because, of course, they did. That also begs the question, how old is Wit? Because he was retiring from teaching, and that was after he did his encyclopedia. You know, I've always imagined Wit as perpetually in his mid-60s. Yeah, basically. 
So I have no idea. He never had a childhood. He's a time lord, or he's he, discovered the Philosopher's Stone. He or... hatched in his mid-60s and then just remained that forever. Mm-hmm. Except that we have documentation of him being in college, at least, and college age. Okay. Which is later in the season. Anyway... Then they find out Tom and Wit didn't get to know each other yet, and Tom had heard about him, but the way that they got to know each other was because Wit's End at the time was this derelict old rec center that was kind of falling apart. It was no longer really safe to use. Nobody was using it. And Tom was actually friends with Wit's wife, he was Jenny. He the city council. And Jenny was giving a petition to the city council to preserve the building. Yeah, but they knew each other. You had the sense that they had right. You had yeah some form because, of friendship there. Yeah, probably because of her involvement with city functions and things like that. She's behind yet another cause to help save this building. And then we segue into the flashback, which is the bulk of this episode. And we're actually at that city council meeting, and she's giving this statement about how important the building is to so many people and so many families, and kids grew up playing there and stuff like that. How could we tear it down? We're tearing down the city's memories. Like. Exactly. And we have another person stand up in the meeting, and we can hear from Tom's voice that he's just yeah. disgusted with this person, even just as he acknowledges him. He says, I have something to say. I have some questions. And we hear Tom just kind of internally groan. I thought you would. Mr. Glossman. This is actually a really nice little touch of acting and storytelling because the way he says it, we know Tom is a trustworthy guy. We know yes. Tom is a good guy. Yes. When he addresses someone from the get-go with such derision. Well, it, not derision, it, but just disgust. Yeah. Disgust is a better word. Yeah. Then we immediately are disposed to dislike this character. And his voice comes across. Oh, he is so slimy. He is oh. sophisticated and intelligent evil. Mm -hmm. Just the way he communicates kind of reminds me of the lawyers in Wolfram and Hart in the Buffy universe. Yeah, who are all about protecting all of the evil people. Yeah, and, th and that's how this guy sounds to me. And he stands up, he's like, yes, Mr. Counsel, can you confirm that this building has no real historical is value? This the oldest, yeah, is this the oldest building in Odyssey? And Jenny has to say, no, it's not. So it has no real historical value as a piece of true history. And she said, well, it depends on what you mean by true history, but no. Now, I have to stop there because right. we have a lot of other knowledge of this show. There's a lot to say. Yeah. Well, he obviously has no idea of the tunnels under Wits End that were used in the Underground Railroad. I would call that true history. Mm -hmm. The bank robbery that took place and the dude who was shot and hid in the basement of Wits End. In the secret room in the basement of Wits End. The mineral that's found in the tunnel that they used for the Underground Railroad that is then used as a bioweapon. And isn't there like Native Americans? stuff along with that too yeah no the native americans used that mineral as some sort of healing property something and then somebody else uses it to create a bioweapon yeah and, okay and that. to stop here <laughs> so at this point in the show adventures of odyssey is hilarious and fun <laughs> and it jumps the shark it repeatedly totally because in it's the best way it's just yeah. Because it starts out with this kind of at-home-in-Mitford, Americana, idealized, almost a music man version mm -hmm. of America, mm -hmm. where we've got the bandstand and the city park, and the kids all go for an ice cream soda after school. Gee whiz, this is swell. And then, as the series progresses, we have... Espionage. Yeah, espionage and super spies and... Superhero comic authors and all kinds and of... All kinds of nonsense wow, begins die. happening and it's entertaining as all get out mm -hmm. but it's funny Cy because there's hacking. no way that the writers at this point in the show had that as the vision for what the show yeah, would become. Yeah, they had no idea and this particular character, Philip Glossman, I don't think at the time they had any sort of plans for him. He was just the sleazy business guy who just wants to make money and be a foil for Jenny and be the conflict 
But. But later in the series, he winds up being tied to some major villains. And it's so fun to hear him introduced here in such a banal way. Yeah, it's a very ordinary way. And he always comes in later. He always comes in under the guise of being very ordinary and very above board. Because if you actually listen to what he's saying, his questions and his points are very accurate. He says nothing that's untrue. He says nothing that's untrue. He says nothing that is necessarily bad. Because as a city, when you're trying to pick and choose what you're going to invest in, it makes more sense to invest in the things that are demonstrably of greater historical value than a more sentimental project. And he makes the point that there are buildings in Odyssey that are much older and have more historical value. So why are we working to preserve this rec center? Working to preserve this rec center, which makes sense. But because he sounds so sleazy and because Tom, our trustworthy character, doesn't like him, we're all like, boo, sit down, never open your mouth. we We want him out of town. Also, I need to note that the name Glossman is very, very fun and very much sounds like it would be someone who has slick back hair, nice suit. Armani. Yeah, and he is just so put together, but it's just a gloss. It's a veneer over him. The first thing that comes to mind when I hear names like Glossman is Charles Dickens. And I've mentioned before, I'll mention it again, I love A Christmas Carol. It's funny, I think that we do a lot of (laughs) pop culture references and stuff on this show. We talk a lot about Christmas Carol. I think I talk about Christmas-themed media a lot because I love Christmas. The reason I bring up A Christmas Carol is Dickens has a way of putting sounds together even to communicate something about this character. Ebenezer Scrooge sounds like a terrible person. He sounds nasty. And Dickens does this all the time with other characters. I said the word veneer. There literally is a character named Mr. Veneering in his book, Our Mutual Friend. And the character Mr. Veneering and his wife, Mrs. Veneering, are socialites. Everybody knows Veneering. Everybody is friends with Veneering, but nobody actually really knows them, and they don't really know anybody else. There's actually a beautiful scene where two people have just gotten married. They're at their wedding breakfast, and there's a moment where they're in a private room together, and they're finding out that they have lied through their teeth to each other accidentally-ish through the Veneerings, because they've told the Veneerings all of this garbage about themselves, puffing themselves up. The Veneerings told the significant other and they thought oh i'm marrying a woman of property i'm marrying a man of fortune nope neither is the case don't trust veneering yeah that phony it's yeah. a veneer it's fake one other dickens name that i love comes out of david copperfield is the character oh, uriah heap. heap and he's just oh. this sniveling psychophantic oh, master copperfield it, yeah master copperfield oh mr copperfield what he's may just I do for you, sir? yeah and he's learned and dickens is very clear with him this is a way to get what he wants not because he actually has any real humility but just to say the name uriah heap a heap is just a pile of garbage he's just this formless pile (laughs) so all that said the name glossman to me was the first time we've had that in odyssey and we will have that from time to time odyssey writers like to have fun with characters names puns and things like that yeah One final note on Glassman. The voice of Philip Glassman is Paul McCusker, who's one of the creators of Adventures in Odyssey. So it is a bit disconcerting. I always found listening to episodes that had a parental warning or something like that on it when Paul McCusker comes on to give us the parental warning and it's like, oh my gosh, that's Philip Glassman. Well, I also find it fun that one of the show's creators didn't want a major role for himself or anything like that. He was like, let me do the bad guy. (laughs) Yeah, I'll do the sleep. <laughs> and I'll show up from time to time and I'll do the minor villain voice. So he doesn't have any further questions after that. So Tom has them all break for a recess and then they're going to come back for this is actually the hearing where Jenny has lined up a bunch of people that have agreed to come and speak about 
how much the rec center has meant to them and how much it is meant for the community and things like that in hopes to sway the council to vote to preserve it. So during the recess, Wit comes up to Jenny and he's like, well, that sounded really great. And she's despondent. She says only half the people that I asked showed up and she's looking kind of peaky. Even her voice sounds She sounds like tired. she's tired. Yeah. And he said, are you okay? And there's a bit of a, you know, Bob, because he says, you look really tired tired and kind of pale and, and you haven't been sleeping well or eating well the past few weeks yeah and you know you never really got over that sore throat you had and it's been two months very much you know bob and she's like no no i'm fine i just want this to be over and he says that seems like a lot of trouble for a lot of broken down real estate she laughs at him she's like you old grump it's not just broken down real estate this is about the people of the community and you should know that and she starts making a case do i have to convince you as well as the council and wit starts laughing which that makes her stop and she's like what and he's like I, I you're just, just so, so cute. cute when you're all fired up which on the one hand if they were actually having a fight that would be like get murdered <laughs> But I she's, think what she's it angry is, about is he something. Loves seeing her passionate about something. Yeah, I don't think he's laughing at her anger or even laughing at her passion. I think he's enjoying yes. her passion. Yes. It does feel weird, though, that Wit is the one who's poo-pooing the, oh, it's a lot of worthless old junk because of what we know of him now with Wit's end. And Tom warns us that he had he different, priorities different, yeah, he had different priorities or something at that point. Yeah, he had different priorities at the time. But I don't know that we really get a picture of that in Not this episode. Really. My hypothesis, because he's done his encyclopedia, that comes back into play later in the episode, his priority is not wit's end because that wasn't in existence yet, but his priority is still the same kinds of things that lead him to make wit's end. Keep learning fun for children and help them to discover the wonder of the world around them and community and he's always been that kind of person pouring into people well that's the vibe i get yeah but at this point he didn't see where the rec center was gonna take him and it was jenny's baby at that time and he was doing other stuff he had been pouring into kids for 13 years teaching as a teacher as yeah. a teacher so yeah i think it was just a shift in priorities it wasn't that suddenly he's about pouring into people it's just it was wasn't a transformation like Scrooge. Right. He didn't turn from this selfish old guy into the benevolent ice cream giver away to the children. <laughs> ice cream scooper. Yeah, that wasn't on his mind at the time. I think probably he had other irons in the fire that was accomplishing very similar things, just not what's end. And we feel so much like Wit's End is a fixture as listeners because it's treated so much like a fixture in Odyssey. That's and just point in Odyssey. It's the hub of the show, really. Yeah, the entire is. series. Yeah, that it feels weird to have Wit not even interested in something like that. And it feels like it ought to be a transformation that somehow he doesn't have his priorities straight until he makes Wit's End, which I don't think is the case for the character in particular if you're talking about his career as a whole. Anyway... All of that done, Wit does point out that Glossman has a strong case, which is true. We just said he did, and now all the audience is like, Arr. and Officer Harley shows up, and this is the one bit of levity that we get in the show. And he's like, I'm looking for Jay Whitaker, and Mr. Whitaker and Jenny both laugh and say, well, we're both Jay Whitaker. Huh? You don't look a thing alike, and neither do you. And then it just speeds past and continues with the dialogue. But it's such a weird, surreal joke. It's a grammar joke, really. That's true, yeah. Because when he says, you don't look a thing alike, we're thinking plural you, you. in our heads. Right. Then he says... Oh, he's using a singular you. Yeah, the second you. And neither do you. And so it becomes this weird... Wait, huh? Okay. The joke is entirely in the construction of the language. It made me laugh, but I'm a super nerd, so... <laughs> So Jenny asks him, are you here instead of the sheriff? Because the sheriff was supposed to come and talk about juvenile delinquency. And he said, no, the sheriff couldn't make it. It's just me. Officer Harley. He's Deputy Harley he's at that point. Cadet Harley, actually. Okay. At that point, he's only Cadet Harley. He said, I was just trying on the officer title for size. My test scores haven't come back yet. So it's kind of one of those, oh, great. The sheriff didn't think it worthwhile to come. And then he, I think, moves on. Because we have a bit more with Wit and... Yeah, we don't have Jenny. much more with Harley. He's just kind of there for a moment, mm -hmm. I think. One thing that I found 
interesting, and we had to go and dig this up a little bit, that Jenny is Jay Whitaker, but if you listen further, her full name is actually Guinevere. So wouldn't it be G It Whitaker? should be G, but you found Jennifer is a different version of that, and she does go by Jenny. Yeah, so Guinevere with a G, but Jenny with a J J. for short. If you looked at her driver's license, it it would would probably be G Whitaker. Mm -hmm. Yeah, minor note, but I don't even know if at that time they had decided that her name was Guinevere. I don't know. I'm not sure. So Officer Harley, or Cadet Harley, I should say, is here to also talk about juvenile delinquency, and they segue into his pontificating. Yeah, he makes this tautology by saying, if you look at a cross-section of JDs, they are all between 5 and 18. And it's literally, yes. That's what juve- makes them That is the age group of juvenile delinquents, thanks for nothing. The whole point about bringing up juvenile delinquents, though, is they're trying to build a case for... Will having a fun place for the kids to go after school help keep them out of trouble? And Glossman makes that point later. He says, we have just seen that Odyssey does not have a problem with juvenile delinquents. So why would we need something like this? And Jenny counters with, have you ever considered that the reason we have no problem with juvenile delinquents is because of places like the rec center? Yeah, and it turns out that there's actually research done that supports this idea. There's part of it that sounds like, duh, common sense. The experts also say this. There's a document on youth.gov specifically related to juvenile delinquency. And early intervention measures, so preventative measures for juvenile delinquency. And two of the preventative measures that they list are after-school recreation programs and mentoring programs. And this is a modern document. This is not an age. 80s centric document this is current online the principles apply yeah the principles apply and the principles have been around for a long time i don't know if anybody remembers the boys and girls clubs of america commercials that always usually featured some very successful person talking about i was in a really poor community or i was from a broken home or whatever or this kept me out of gangs or what have you yeah so these kinds of things have been going on for a long time Although, Wit's End does not keep kids out of gangs in Odyssey. Not in Odyssey. Mm -mm. Because there is is a a gang, gang, sort of. Sort of. The gang that would egg a car. Yeah. Until (laughs) they get the big boys from the city. And we'll get there in a future episode. That'll be a while. But yes, so that's probably a lot of what is behind Jenny's statement. And she then addresses the whole council. Children grow up too fast. There is tremendous pressure on them, and they need a place where they can just be kids. And Glossman asks, which is another good question, who is going to pay for the renovation of the rec center? Are we going to use tax dollars to do it? How are you planning on getting the money? And segues into this proposition from the Webster Development Firm to build a shopping mall where the rec center is. So they would purchase the land and the building and build a new shopping mall that would bring in money instead of taking money out of the city. And of course, this is the late 80s, and malls are booming in America. There's a reason why season three of Stranger Things is set in a shopping mall. Malls were a big, big deal. Up through the 90s, they kept climbing, and it's only really, I would say, they kind of started to decline in popularity in the early to mid-2000s. Yeah, it says, we found another article. This is from the Washington Post. Developers built 750 U.S. malls from 1970 to 2000, according to the International Council of Shopping Centers, but by 2008, their numbers had swelled to 1,100. But by that time, many of them were in rapid decline, because that was the recession in 2008. So we sort of climbed the hill really quickly and then fell off. And since then, it's yeah, been downhill. Yeah, malls have, they're not dead, but they obviously have been dying. They're no longer the cultural juggernaut that they were. Yeah. And some of the reason for that, they talk about in the article, malls were in trouble, retail experts say, long before the advent of online shopping. The nation's first shopping center opened in Edina, Minnesota in 1956, and renowned architect Frank Lloyd Wright was unimpressed, as it had, quote, all the evils of the village street and none of its charm. So if you think about what malls look like many of them all look the same if you've seen one mall you've seen kind of 
all of them. Pretty and they much. tend to have the same stores as well, anchor stores. I honestly get claustrophobic inside a mall. It's I can't exhausting. stay there for I very long. I find it long. very exhausting to be in a mall. It lacked the charm. But that's not really the argument that is made in this moment that the mall is going to take away from the small town charm of Odyssey. Glassman makes the point that the Webster Development Firm is going to build a shopping mall that will have facilities for children. And Jenny's response is, do you know what those facilities will be? Arcades and video rentals. So we need to stop here for just a moment and talk about Odyssey and the writer's biases. Which we've talked about before. We have, and this is something that'll probably crop up more or less any time gaming, and especially video games, are mentioned. I would say they're barely tolerated as a form of amusement, but certainly looked upon with suspicion. And it's really not difficult to see why. If you look at 1988 and video arcades, I'm sure there were harmless Chuck E. Cheese-esque family-friendly things, but there is an image of a video arcade as a kind of sleazy, scummy place, where probably the greasers go, and there's probably drug deals and stuff like that that happened there. If you look at games themselves in the late 80s, we're long beyond Pac-Man and Centipede Mm -hmm. and things like that, and games were pushing more and more into violent territory. 88 saw some classics come out, like Altered Beast, or Splatterhouse, or Robocop. Bad Dudes vs. Dragon Ninja, which is such a wonderfully ludicrous title. Most of these are shooter games. And the violence in them is funny because by modern standards, it looks almost quaint because it's all pixelated and cartoony. But if you look at the content of what's actually happening in those games, there's decapitations and grenades and mayhem. Blood and gore. Blood and gore and guts and ridiculousness. And, And a lot of these games could not be regulated if they're in an arcade and your kids are just going to the arcade. Unless you go with them to the arcade, you can't regulate what they play and what they don't. Yeah, this isn't the same as having a Nintendo at home, which had come out by this point. An Atari. Well, there had been Ataris and stuff, but Nintendo was actually in existence at this point. Okay. And as a parent, you could curate, this game is appropriate for our family, this game is not. If you just set your kid loose in the arcade, there was this idea that they're going to be coming across all kinds of content that you would not be aware of and probably would not have approved of. She makes that point. We can't let them grow up in a society that doesn't care what they think or what they believe. And this is all good. I do need to balk at a certain amount of pearl clutching that I see with this. Because, like I said, I don't believe that playing a game that depicts violence is going to turn a kid into a violent person. There is so much research that has debunked that. And there's a certain amount of, you can imagine parents who are outside of the loop, just hearing some of the titles. I don't want my child playing a game called Bad Dudes. And it sounds silly, but I guarantee you that conversation took place. Oh, yeah. So while there is legitimate cause for concern, there is also illegitimate cause for concern. And Odyssey never takes the time to sort through these things. It just does the shorthand. We've talked about this before. Video games, movies in excess is shorthand for bad stuff. Yeah. While ignoring that there can be a healthy way to enjoy these things. Yes. So as she continues this impassioned speech about we can't let our children grow up in a society that doesn't care what they think or what they believe, please don't let this happen, she actually starts teetering and then passes out on the floor in the middle of the meeting. So they call the ambulance and the next transition is wit in the hospital waiting room and the Mm -hmm. doctor comes out. Yeah, and turns out that she is actually very, very very sick. It's not just that she's been feeling a little crummy. Or Um, is tired because she's overworking herself with this. Yeah. She has a condition, the doctor says, called post-streptococcal glomerulonephritis. Yeah. It's really long. And it's a really, really rare condition of the kidneys. From a prior strep infection that then goes down into the kidneys. And the warning signs usually point to kidney issues. It usually takes 10 days after the start of the symptoms of strep throat or scarlet fever for this to develop. So it's been, he said, it's been two months Mm -hmm. since her strep throat 
So we have about the right timeline. Symptoms include swelling, especially in the face, around the eyes, in the hands and feet, dark reddish brown urine, decreased need to pee or decreased amount of urine, and feeling tired due to low iron levels in the blood. So the only real symptom she exhibited was feeling tired, but most of those symptoms would be rather weird to talk about in a public forum. Like, yeah, they're not. So you've not been peeing for a while. Yeah, so. they're not going to be bringing that up. It would be strange. One thing they could have done though is mention that her face looks puffy or mm -hmm. something like that. That would have been a perfect thing to give to Harley. Are you feeling okay? You look a little puffy. Maybe that's not something they thought about. They researched this enough to figure out exactly what she had. Yeah, and a is... really technical name for a disease. Yeah, the funny thing is, as a kid, I don't remember this being what she had. I always thought, didn't she die from cancer or something? I and that was remember. my thought, too. As we were entering back into this episode, I remembered this story. If you asked me to summarize it before listening, I would have said cancer. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because cancer in our lifetime, not only is it a deadly disease, but almost a cultural yeah. moment. Everyone's scared of cancer because mm -hmm. it's kind of the uncurable disease. Cancer and AIDS are kind of the two from my youth I remember hearing about as a kid and then as a teenager. And that being kind of a scary word. And the funny thing is, the more research we have on it, the more there are various types of cancer, the more easily we can treat it. It's not a cure per se, but things like surgeries, things like radiation and chemo mm -hmm. are able to essentially kill the mutating cells so that's not what they did props to them i guess for being creative with diseases I it's a weird guess, thing to say well and i guess because they also needed something that could be quick within the time frame of the episode because wit says after hearing that she has this condition oh i told her to slow down she should have slowed down this will be a lesson for her for next time and the doctor says i'm sorry there's not going to be a next time she's dying now because Which is this should have been super fast. It's yeah. almost instantaneous. Wit rushes in. He's by her bedside and holds her hand. Yeah, they don't say that she's dying then, but essentially within the next few days, what have you, it's very, very short time. Within the next few minutes of the show, she's dead. Yeah. And we have several things to say about this transition. As soon as the doctor says there will not be a next time, the piano comes in. And this is another moment where the music really stood out to us. In a good way at first. Yeah. It was very good somber piano. It really helped suddenly change the mood. And drive the scene forward. I would say that it's a little too loud for the dialogue here. Yeah. It's almost distracting. And it has that kind of made-for-TV Hallmark movie quality to it. Well, it's also probably a synthesizer piano. Oh, absolutely. So, yes, the touched by an angel kind of piano sound. But it's a good little piece of music. Yeah, no, it's good. And he goes in, and they're talking, and she's obviously very weak. One concern I had in this scene is that Wit goes in, and at no point is there discussion of, we need to call the kids... We need to call the grandkids. We need to at least get them on the phone to say goodbye to you before you die. If she is dying so quickly, they might not be able to get there in time. And we know that they have kids. In a previous episode, we've met Wit's daughter. Yes, and grandson. And there's talk of his granddaughter. And he talks about two other kids that they had. She, even in this scene, tells this story about, do you remember when our kids were little and you were putting together your encyclopedia and the kids couldn't wait for you to come home every night because you always had something new to show them. And that's essentially the extent of their conversation. And she says, I love you, John. And the way that it's structured, it sort of sounds like that's the last thing she says to him ever. And yeah. she dies then, or dies within the next few hours. I don't know. It sounds anyway. to me like she dies right then. Yeah. And then we cut to a commercial break in the show. So we'll be back too. After the commercial, they do kind of a time cut. We go back to Tom and Connie, Connie, and he says, we didn't hear anything or see much of anything with Wit after that for several months, and the whole rec center project was put on hold because nobody came to a decision. They kind of had to cancel the meeting, and it just sort of got shoved to the side. And then about a month after Jenny died, Tom and Harley show up at Wit's house. 
And Wit is living kind of this hermity, reclusive existence. Well, as far as they know, he's not doing anything with the city council. Who knows what else he was doing? But the way he answers the, the door, it sounds like he's... It sounds very hermity, hermity. crotchety. If this was not John Avery Whitaker, if this was not Odyssey, if this was not a family show, I think they would open the door and find him half drunk in a wife yeah. beater shirt and yeah. just like, what do you want? We don't he's get the not I- uncivil. And yeah, like we don't him. get the idea that he's unkempt or drinking heavily or anything like that. But I said in a different show, that's kind of the attitude we get from Wit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they come in and they say, we would like to talk to you about the rec center and we're hoping you might be interested in continuing your wife's project to fix the rec center and to save it and he says why do either of you care and tom said i care because the same reasons that your wife cared this has great value in holding the memories of the town my father helped built the rec center during the depression and harley says i played there as a kid and so they both have personal ties to it and turns out that a lot of people in the community do have personal ties to this derelict old building Mm -hmm. also this is where they bring in the small town argument that many of them while they also have personal ties to the building don't really like the idea of a big boxy shopping mall i think tom uses the term we don't care as much about our town being filled with glass and chrome we like the old things better and that's almost a thesis for these early odyssey episodes Mm -hmm. this hold on to what's good of old school america yeah and in some respects we grew up in a small town i went to college in a small town that was very much pro local businesses and things like that and there is a lot to be said for that kind of community we went home recently to visit and these days the town we grew up in just is not the same place no it's not it has built up tons and tons and tons and it's built up in a different way it's funny it's built up in the new i want to live in a folksy town even though i work in the big city so i'm going to make my apartment it feels very chic and chic couture quaint kind of yeah like fake quaint yes it's artificially quaint so all the new buildings are made to blend in with the old buildings which aesthetically is nice but it's still bringing the big city back in yeah, in it, a different it way. It doesn't feel like what we grew up with. Yeah. So we can relate to this idea as useful to the community as the big box stores can be. If there's a way that you can do without them, we can sympathize. Wit doesn't agree. He's still kind of bitter. You all pushed this on my wife and she overworked herself and that's what killed her, which is completely unfair unfair and if you backed him into a corner i'm sure he would admit that yeah well tom even now he doesn't know it very well is speaking truth to wit so he says all the time that i talked to your wife and your wife and i had many conversations about you i got the impression that she believed you held the same ideals that you would have done what you could to fight for a place like the rec center. And Wit, in the course of his rant, had said that he knew his wife better than anyone, and Tom turns that back on him, and he said, it's a shame your wife couldn't say the same about you. And they Which leave. is kind of a, a cold kind of a slap move. in the face. Yeah. yeah. Dude, his wife just died. Yeah. So then Wit decides to go to the rec center, and the way that he's talking to himself about it, he's like, so this is what all the fuss was about, huh? Which makes me think, did you never see it? Yeah, this is something that Jenny was I mean, so Jenny passionate said, about. Jenny actually says in the beginning, it's been influential in our family too. So like, did she take the kids there? And Wit just never showed up? Like, what's going on? Yeah, that was a weird moment. And then he hears a little girl say, sir, you're standing in my house. Oh, I'm sorry. Am I mean your house? Yeah. And it's a playhouse. She's pretending this area is the living room where we live. And this area is the bedroom where we sleep. And over here is the kitchen. What are you doing? there oh silly that's where i watch soap operas and as a kid listening to this in my head because they talk about the rec center being this broken down thing i always pictured kind of a ruin yeah this run down and things like that almost post-apocalyptic abandoned building building, which is completely unsafe and yet there's this little kid playing in the middle of it yeah and i always thought of it as the solitary little kid playing in the middle of this ruin because you hear kids playing around yeah i always imagined it is her alone yeah but if you listen carefully there are kids playing in the background and wit says you play here and she said oh yeah lots of the kids play here okay 
are there no parks? I was a bit confused that it's such a magnet for kids, especially well, if it is a Oh, yeah. Wit doesn't ask, are there no parks? That's your question. No, that's my question. Yeah, there could be playgrounds or something. Are there something. no playgrounds? Like, are there no parks? That they no have to place? go to this derelict building. <laughs> Why isn't the derelict building closed off and locked? Because it's not safe. If it's such, really a, yeah. such a derelict building, regardless of whether or not it's a ruin, they're talking about needing to fix it up in order for it to be usable again. It should be as closed as possible to the public. So kids don't walk in and get hurt. Yeah, it seems yeah, like there over. would be other places to play in, Odyssey. But we doesn't ask about other parks or what happens. What he, he does <laughs> is he says, are there no video arcades? Well, what about the arcade? <laughs> Which is... Okay, it's like a devil's advocate kind of question. Because who never before in this episode talked about holding the arcade up as a legitimate place for kids. No, which is why I say it's a devil's advocate thing. The writers put this in almost like to poke at the very idea. Yeah. Which is unnecessarily heavy-handed, I feel, and really has nothing to do with the story itself. No. It's just a way to, again, poke at video games are evil. So she says, yes, and they're okay, but it gets boring after a while. I mean, if you've seen one space alien, you've seen them all. Which is fair. That's fair, and that's why there are things like parks and other stuff for kids to do beyond an arcade, although her choice of playing in an abandoned building is a bit weird. It's questionable. So then her mom says, Jenny, it's time to come home, which raises even more questions. Her mom has brought her there and is there with her while she's playing in this unsafe abandoned building. Or her mom was waiting outside or something and then comes in and finds her talking to this random old (laughs) man. And it's not like, hi, can I help you? She's just like talking to my daughter. Yeah, she's just okay with this random old guy talking to her kid in the middle of a abandoned Abandoned building. building. (laughs) That's not weird at all. Or creepy. Okay. But what we fixate on is, oh, your name is Jenny? And you talk about weird and creepy. This is almost when I heard this episode as a kid and hearing it again now and remembering it, I don't think that the writers and actors intended there to be any supernatural significance no. to this. But when I heard it as a kid, I remember thinking, oh, was that supposed to be an angel or something that he met? It's kind of ambiguous because he's left with Jenny. Jenny. This little kid had the same name as his wife who just died. And it's this touching, healing sort of thing and becomes the impetus for him to go about getting a hold of this building to fix it up. Yeah. I don't think that's what's actually intended. I think it's meant to be more sentimental. Sentimental and symbolic. But yeah, Jenny is not meant to be some sort of angel. She is an actual girl, I think, that he meets who is playing there. Yeah. But yes, you're right. It becomes the impetus for him trying to get a hold of the building. And we time cut to them actually in the city council meeting, taking a vote on what they're going to do with the rec center. And Glossman has moved that the Webster Development Fund purchase it and do their whole shopping mall and nobody else has come forward to purchase it. And at the last possible second, Wit sails in and says, wait a second, you'd be wrong. I have a firm that I'm representing, the Universal Press Foundation of Chicago, which is going to offer to purchase the land for $3.5 million, 500000 more than the Webster Development Firm's offer. And so the day is saved and the building is purchased by this encyclopedia Mm -hmm. company. And it's for the purpose, he says, the Universal Press produces the Universal Encyclopedia, and their mission is to make learning fun. And he pitches the idea, essentially, of this Exploratorium Children's Museum. adventure and discovery. Which is really what, of course, it becomes. Mm-hmm. And Glossman, Glossman is left, a... you can't do that, and then the good guys are like, what do you care as long as the building gets sold, and... It's making more money for the city this way. Yeah. And he's shut down. Mm -hmm. And the good guys celebrate and the bad guy is shamed. And they beat Glossman in his own game. Yay! So then we get back to Tom and Connie, and Connie says, wait a second, so Wit doesn't own Wit's End? And Tom says, well, you know, it's owned by this publishing company, which is owned by Wit. Mm -hmm. And so he basically put forward his own money. Wit is fabulously wealthy, apparently, but lives very modestly and pours his resources into stuff like Wit's End. And then we find out further that with all of the resources that he's pouring into Wit's End, he actually isn't making any money off of it. 
deliberately so. All yeah. of the money that Wits End makes goes somewhere else, but it doesn't go to Wit. Maybe into Wits End somewhere, maybe into other avenues. Well, but Tom makes it clear that Wit thing. doesn't make a dime off of this. Yeah, so very cool. And then Wit comes in right at the end, and Connie just runs up and gives him this big bear hug. You're an amazing man, Mr. Whitaker, and runs off, and Wit is a bit flustered, and he says, why the hug? And Tom just goes, well, she's just being a teenager, I guess. And they laugh, and... That's the end. It's almost a non-ending. Yeah. It, it's like kinda. the sitcom well, punchline without any punchline. Yeah. So I don't fully remember if Chris had anything that she said at the end or if we just went straight into music, but we have no recap, no restating of the moral or scripture to tie the story back. Yeah, she doesn't play the guess the Bible hero game with this. So really, this is interesting to me just because it is a piece of pure storytelling. There's nothing didactic about this episode. Yeah. Which, as I said, we have a few of these as we go through Adventures and Odyssey. And I wonder if this is one of those, because this is near the end of the first album. Mm-hmm. And again, the albums were put together in the 90s. so After the fact after of these the being fact, aired. We're not even at the end of the year, really, because we've had the Christmas episode. We're the beginning of 1988. So... I wonder if they had gotten to a point, Adventures in Odyssey is doing well, we need to stop and think about the origins and how Whitsend came about and more backstory and fleshing out the characters. Or this is a filler episode. I don't know. There's various reasons why they could have structured an episode like this. Yeah. But overall, it's nice. this one isn't one of my favorites, but it's really not bad. The no. story is straightforward and pretty simple it just kind of moves from point a to point b mm-hmm. there's no really surprising twists i think that the little girl's name is jenny it's supposed to feel like a surprising twist but it's not it's not really <laughs> yeah the most surprising stuff for us was oh my gosh glassman shows up which we didn't remember him being in this at all mm-hmm. one note wit proposes to buy the building and the property and then it becomes a plot point further on in the series that he doesn't actually own the property so either we can make it work canon wise that somehow in the negotiations he just bought the building or probably or more likely the writers just forgot yeah but that's, but that's such a minor nitpick yeah and it's actually not even a nitpick that i remembered i caught that off of the wiki so i'm Great. not as smart as you think i am and with that with us not being as <laughs> smart as you are. think we are it's probably time to call it quits remember to email us at serpent and dove specfic at gmail.com if you would like to get in contact we would love to hear from you or go check out a grief observed by c.s lewis on audible read by douglas grisham who is lewis's stepson the reason why we chose that book should be obvious which wife died lewis's wife died there's a parallel people die with that happy note for free by using our link in the show notes and on that happy note we will say goodbye toodaloo Thank you.